You are listening to the preaching ministry of Christ Church San Antonio. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.christchurchsa.com. Thank you for listening. If you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and take that Bible out and open up to the Psalms. If you just open, the chances are if you open in the middle of your Bible, you'll hit the Psalms. Psalm 130. Psalm 130 is where we're going to spend some time together this morning. We're starting a new series today that's going to take us for a couple of months through the end of August, just about, in the Psalms. Summer of Songs is what we're calling it, and we'll be looking at various songs uh, in the Bible from the Psalms throughout uh, the next couple of months, and we're starting that series today with Psalm 130. If you don't have a Bible that Uh, The slides are going to have the text behind me. And also, there's some Bibles out on the welcome table. If you would like to take one of those, if you don't own a Bible, please grab one of those on your way out today. We'd really uh, love to give it to you as a gift. So I'm going to read for us from Psalm 130, and then we'll um, thank God for his word and then pray and jump in. So hear God's word for you this morning. Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would come now and work through your word as you have done in your church for thousands of years. Bless your people as we come under the authority of how you have revealed yourself to us in the scripture. Thank you for this great book of the Bible, the Psalms, and how they display for us um, the the fullness of human emotion before your face, how they help us know how to worship you and understand who you are and what you are doing in our lives. And, And God, we ask this morning that no matter where we're coming from today, no matter where we're coming from spiritually or emotionally, no matter what kind of week we've had, no matter how we feel right now, that you would right now in the next few minutes remind us that you are God, that you are good, that you care for us, that you have made us in your image, and therefore we have dignity and worth. And even though we have rebelled against you and sinned and that sin has corrupted our lives and our world, you are on the move with redeeming grace in our lives and among us as a community, and in our city, even now. So God, grant to us hope and faith in those things this morning. We need your spirit if that's going to happen. So spirit, come, we ask. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the modern age, in my opinion, has worked very hard to remove any notion uh, or sense of guilt. And uh, you might say that we live more and more in a post-guilt culture. And one of the places that this is most clearly seen is in pop culture, especially in one of my favorite shows, becoming a little bit more dated now. But Seinfeld is one of the great examples 
of how we live in a post-guilt culture. And I think about, in particular, George and Elaine and Jerry, how they would, one of the regular refrains in that show is when an action or an attitude happens in the show that would have traditionally been seen as something that was guilt-inducing, Jerry or Elaine or George would say, not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. They are examples for us of the idea that we can move past guilt, that that is a relic of a bygone age and that updated humanity shouldn't have to deal with it anymore. The problem with the idea that we're in a post-guilt age, though, is that humans can't really escape the idea or the concept of guilt. We might not like it, we might ignore it, but the reality, the reality of guilt stares us back in the face unflinchingly. And Christianity has something to say about that. Christianity, traditionally, as it derives its teaching from the Bible, has said that the reason we can't escape a sense of guilt, even though we want to say, oftentimes in our culture, that we've moved beyond guilt, is because guilt is tightly connected with sin. And this psalm, Psalm 130, is about the guilt that sin brings humanity, that brings each one of us. And it's also about the forgiveness that God, in the gospel of Jesus, brings us. And so it's powerful as a song, primarily because it highlights one of the core issues that humans always have faced and always will face. And that core issue is that the fact is we are guilty. We are guilty before God because of our sin. That's an issue that cuts to the heart of the human story. It's an issue that each one of us is implicated in, whether we acknowledge it or not and whether we like it or not. I came across this week this old clip from a Calvin and Hobbes comic strip. I love Calvin and Hobbes. I find them hilarious. And in this strip, Calvin, a little boy, and Hobbes, a tiger, are, they're hurtling down a snowy slope on a sled, um, conducting a discussion about sin. And, you know, the wildly improbable nature of that scenario is part of its charm, right? And, and here's how it goes. Calvin says, I'm getting worried about Christmas. To which Hobb responds, you're worried you haven't been good? Calvin, that's just the question. It's all relative. What's Santa's definition? How good do you have to be to qualify as good? I haven't killed anybody. That's good, right? I haven't committed any felonies. I didn't start any wars. Wouldn't you say that's pretty good? Wouldn't you say I should get lots of presents? Hobbes responds, but maybe good is more than the absence of bad. To which Calvin says, see, that's what worries me. It's the brilliance of comic strips better than a lot of sermons, to be honest. They can give you very depth-packed, uh, meaningful ideas in ways that are pithy and wonderful. And today, that's really the idea that we're going to explore for a few minutes. This idea of sin and forgiveness, of guilt and the removal of guilt, which is at the very heart of the scriptures, at the very heart of the Christian faith. And so here's how I want to summarize Psalm 130 for you this morning picking up on what we've already begun to think about. The depths of God's forgiveness covers the depths of our sin. Very simple. The depths of God's forgiveness covers the depths of our sin. Two big points breaking that down. First, we're going to look at sin. Second, we're going to look at what this psalm has to say about forgiveness. So first, 
sin. One thing you'll notice as you read through this ancient song is that this author, the psalmist, had a deep sense of his own sin and guilt. That's one of the things that comes out there in the first three verses. Look at verse 1. Out of the depths, the psalmist says, out of the depths I cry to you. In a sense, the psalm is asking each one of us, have we wrestled honestly from the depths in our own lives? He describes this phrase out of the, he uses this phrase out of the depths to describe a sense of, a sense of overwhelming despair. And in the Old Testament, similar images, similar language is used again and again, especially in the Psalms, to describe, to describe feelings of danger or fear or guilt. Just as an example, listen to Psalm 69, verses 1 through 3. There David writes, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into the depths and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. So that's how this psalmist feels. He is in the depths. And it's very clear that what has brought this feeling, what has brought about this condition in his heart, is his own guilt before God, is his own sin. He's been overcome by a flooding sense of his own broken condition before his maker. If you'll notice, secondly, that he repeats the word cry. Out of the depths I cry to you, verse 1. Verse 2, O Lord, hear my voice. And then again, let your ears be attentive to my pleas for mercy. As we read through the Psalms in the coming weeks, one thing that you'll see used very regularly is this repetition. And in Hebrew poetry, that's the way that they emphasize things. The ancient language of Hebrew doesn't have, you know, italics or an exclamation point or or emojis, you know, the way we tend to emphasize things today. The way they emphasized concepts was through repetition. And you see, therefore, repeated here this idea of crying out before the Lord. This psalmist feels a sense of his own sinfulness deep in his own spiritual self. And then look also at verse 3. If you, O Lord, he writes, should mark iniquities or sins, O Lord, who could stand? So the psalmist in his own experience, he has at this moment come, he has come to one of those terrifying moments where the weight of his own rupturing of God's law seems to crush him with a sense of dread and guilt. The psalmist realizes that one day he as an individual is going to stand before God as his judge. The Bible tells us in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter, chapter 9, that it is destined that every one of us will die once, and after that comes judgment. This psalm is, at the very beginning anyways, very cognizant of that fact. There's a deep awareness of our own unworthiness before a holy God. And the psalm is asking us a question as well. Have we ever had that sort of awareness? Have we ever felt this way? It's worth pondering. Because maybe what you need most this morning is to discover, perhaps for the first time in your life, the depths of your own guilt before God. 
Almost everything within us and also everything within our culture screams at us to run away from our own guilt, from the sense and feeling of our own guilt. Almost everything in our lives calls us to avoid saying what this psalmist says in verse 3, if God should mark iniquities, who could stand? But listen, friends, listen, until you can get to that place internally, you cannot experience the peace that God offers in Jesus. You see, the truth is that the Lord does mark iniquities and that none can stand. Until we sense that this is true of us, the gospel says again and again that we can't really receive any mercy from God. This psalmist senses his sin very profoundly. I also want you to see that he acknowledges his sin. He doesn't just sense it, he verbalizes it, right? He's still speaking to God. Verse 2, O Lord, hear my voice. Listen to me, God. Listen to my pleas for mercy. It's possible for him to be in the depths, but also to cry out to God. And then if you'll look at verses 5 and 6, you'll see that the psalmist is still willing to wait on God. Notice the repetition again there in verse 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In his word, I hope. What's happening here is that this psalmist knows he can't cure himself. And so he's pleading with God to cure him. He's willing to sit and wait in his emotional and spiritual anguish for God to show up. Now, we don't like to sit still and wait. We want to go fix it, right? We want to achieve. We want to take care of the issue. That's very American. That's very pioneering. That's very entrepreneurial. It's just not very biblical. And it's not very helpful if we're going to ever really deal with our own guilt. And so Psalm 130 counsels us to look outside of ourselves for help, to wait for God to help us. The psalm is teaching that acknowledgement of our sin and guilt is a prerequisite to the forgiveness of our sin and guilt. And indeed, the acknowledgement in your own life of your own sin and guilt is a sign of God's grace already at work because that's something that none of us in our own power will ever do. We will hide. We will run from. But when we begin to acknowledge when we begin to confess, when we begin to open ourselves up before God and say, God, I'm waiting for you. I hope in your mercy alone. That's a sign. That's a sign that the Spirit is on the move. The great uh, 20th century theologian Karl Barth um, tells a story about a man who, in the middle of the night in Germany, rode across a frozen lake unknowingly, and when he reached the opposite shore, he was told what he had done, that he had just crossed on his horse a frozen lake. And upon being told that news, the man breaks down horrified. And what Bart says is that that, in essence, is the human situation. I wonder if we've ever had a moment like that, when the sky opens, proverbially speaking, and the earth is bright, and we hear God say to us, by grace you have been saved. In such a moment, we're like that writer who thinks, how is it that I've been living the way I've been living? How did I not crash deep into the cold depths of that lake? That's what it means to sense and acknowledge your own guilt and your own sin before God. It's looking back on your life and thinking, I've been living in mortal danger and been completely unaware of it until this moment. 
That's what God's work in us initially leads to. It leads to a sense and an acknowledgement, just like this psalm calls us to, of our own depths of guilt before a holy God. You know, it's worth asking, how do you deal with a guilty conscience? Hopefully, we'll all have, to some degree, these terrifying moments of overwhelming guilt. That's actually something that we need. We need them because we will often seek to assuage our guilt in other ways rather than to simply own up to it. So how do you do it? Oftentimes, we'll deal with a sense of guilt by trying to ignore it. We think that it's just a phase of distress, and if we work harder to focus more and move on, eventually it's going to pass, right? But what we need to get is that we're not just insulated victims of this sinful and broken world. We are its settled inhabitants. It's a fantasy world that we're living in when we think that we can ignore our own culpability before the Maker forever. But that's what we try to do at times. We'll ignore it. You might try to assuage your own guilty conscience by dealing with it yourself through penance. Some of us don't ignore it, but we try to fight it and fight it with our own strength. That looks any number of ways, but most of the religions of the world, well, all of them, Christians would say, other than Christianity itself, are built upon this idea. We'll set up rigorous schedules and goals in order to punish ourselves so as to rid ourselves of guilt. We'll get involved in all sorts of charitable organizations, perhaps, and do many, many good things, but we're using those good things in order to please a God that can't really ultimately be pleased by our tainted good works, and so those good things become really in the depths of our hearts bad things. Maybe in your life you try to acknowledge or you try to, to deal with your guilt by confessing it, but only confessing it in part. Any of you ever had an experience like that? The great Puritan theologian John Owen says, reservation ruins confession. Reservation ruins confession. When we refuse to deal with all of it, but simply try to lessen the burden instead of erase it altogether, we're, we're really saying that, let me put it this way, partial confession is another way of thinking that we can partially save ourselves. Partial confession is saying that we are partially not in need of saving by God at all. And so confession in part is never actually going to do the job. Maybe you try to deal with your guilty conscience by confessing it to other people. You'll be an open book with them, but you don't confess it to God. In Psalm 51, David, after his sin with Bathsheba, says to God, against you and you only have I sinned. You see, oftentimes in our brokenness, we will go to others for forgiveness. We'll talk to our spouses. We'll seek counsel from pastors. And those are all good things. But we will not deal with the root of the issue. We will not cry out to God. Listen to this theologian. In all the multiformity of sin, there is always a common trait. Sin is always against God. Never can we get at the essence of sin as long as we ignore this relation of sin and God and regard our sin as a mere phenomenon in human living. Listen, there's only one way to deal with our own inner guilt, with our own sinfulness, and that way is, as the psalm tells us, to go to God. And listen, there's good news. There's good news for guilty people. There's good news for sinners. 
The gospel is the way. The gospel is the cure. Forgiveness from a holy God is the only way to get out of the depths. And so let's look at that idea. Secondly, the psalm talks very clearly about sin, and then it talks to us secondly about forgiveness. Verse 3, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? And then verse 4, there's a transition, but... A beautiful transition, but with you, Lord, with you, God, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. That verse is the heart of this whole song. And that's what I want you to leave here with this morning above all else. I want you to listen to this. God forgives your sins. God takes away guilt. And if you look at the psalm, notice the certainty with which the psalmist speaks. With you there is forgiveness. Verse 7. With the Lord there is steadfast love. With him is plentiful redemption. Verse 8. He will redeem Israel. He will redeem his people from all of their iniquities. The most important thing in the Christian experience is remembering that God forgives sin. Can we reflect on his forgiving love a little bit more together this morning? Um, what is God's forgiveness like? Look what the psalm says. His forgiveness is free. Verse 7, with you there is plentiful redemption. That phrase plentiful redemption implies that God forgives guilty sinners freely. In other words, forgiveness is an act of God's grace. It's not an act of his justice. If God were to merely act justly, he would punish sinners as a righteous and holy judge. But God, in his relationship with each one of us, acts graciously. He gives plentiful redemption. Forgiveness is not deserved and it's not earned. It cannot be merited. We've indeed seen that we can't earn it. Verse 3, we're too far into the depths. If God marked iniquities, no one could stand. But God freely gives plentiful redemption. Jesus in John 6 says, whoever comes to God by me, I will never cast out. The very last book of the Bible, in the very last chapter, Revelation chapter 22, we read, the spirit and the bride say, come, let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. If you're ever going to understand God's grace, then you must understand that grace inherently means that it comes without price price. That's the beauty of the gospel. When we acknowledge our own guilt fully, we can then rest in Jesus fully. His grace and his grace alone is sufficient. His forgiveness is free. Also notice that his forgiveness is for today. It's worth thinking about the present tense of these promises. Verse 4, with you there is presently, now forgiveness. It's a present gift waiting to be received, waiting to be received by faith from anyone. The terms of peace are proposed by God for you today, you see. And, and it's worth me pressing on you a little bit here because the point that the scriptures emphasize for us again and again and again is that there is no time to delay or to wait receiving what God freely offers you in the forgiveness of your sins and the removal of your guilt. It's as if the psalmist is saying, why would you not receive for forgiveness from God now if, if these things are true of him? 
if he really is full of plentiful redemption, if his steadfast love is really immovable like a rock of ages like we sing, then come to him now. Don't delay. Don't wait. Why do we so often do that? John Owen, I was very helped by him this week. And uh, let me just quote another thing he says about this idea of coming to God now. Here's his illustration. He writes, if any, of you, if any of you were justly condemned to a cruel and shameful death as a criminal, and you lay trembling in the expectation of execution, and a man should come to you and tell you that there were terms given on which your life might be spared, if that were your situation, Owen says, would you not say, tell me what the terms are, for there's nothing that I will not go through to free myself from this miserable condition. But now, he writes, imagine that instead of doing that, you were stubborn and obstinate and told the messenger, let the judge keep his terms to himself without inquiring further into what they were. Owen says, would not such a person be deemed to perish deservedly? Does he not, in fact, bring a double destruction upon himself, first of deserving death by his crimes, and then by refusing the honest and good way of delivery offered to him? Anyone who cares the slightest for their own soul will be unspeakably concerned in this temporary, present proposal of pardon. The gospel is available for you now. Don't waste the time. In those moments in your life, when you have a sense of your own guilt, when you have a healthy fear of God, when you have a sense of the shame that your own brokenness and sin and shortcomings bring you, go to Jesus then and there. Take him up on his offer to cleanse you, to wash your sins away, to cast them as far as the east is from the west. Do not delay. God's forgiveness is for today. And then lastly, the psalm tells us that his forgiveness is safe. It's safe. Verse 7, again, I love this verse. With the Lord there is steadfast love. With the Lord there is plentiful redemption. He will redeem his people from their iniquities. Notice the underlying tone of certainty and safety in these verses. Here's the bottom line. No person who has ever from his or her heart asked for forgiveness from Jesus has ever been turned down by him. Nor will this ever happen. If God promises it, by his own life he will see that it happens. That's what steadfast love there in verse 7 means. God not living up to his promise to forgive you your sins is, is completely and utterly incomprehensible because God has staked his own name, his own self, his own eternal person on his fulfilling that promise for you. You can trust it. You can take it to the bank. So why would we delay? That's what the psalmist asks us. His forgiveness is free. His forgiveness is safe. And his forgiveness is for today. How can God make us such a radical promise? If we really have a sense, like the psalmist does, of our depths, of the lengths to which we will sometimes go in our darker moments to run away from God, of the willingness to commit evil that all of us are prone to, if we have a real sense of that, surely the question comes up, how is it that a holy God can, can forgive us so freely? And the answer, the answer is that God can forgive us with this kind of certainty because Jesus has paid the cost already. 
Our forgiveness is free because Jesus took upon himself all that we and all that our sin deserves at the cross. Our forgiveness is safe because Jesus guarantees our passage into fellowship with God again by his own death and resurrection. How is it possible that a holy God could forgive my sins, all of them, in all of their horror and shame? He can do it because in Jesus, as Paul tells us, he is both just and the one who justifies. The great poet W.H. Auden says that sin is the error bred in the bone. That is, it is the inescapable reality of all humans. We are born in corruption. We are all guilty. And that takes us to the depths, like Psalm 130, verse 1. God does mark iniquities, and none can stand on his or her own. But God is not just a judge. He is also a forgiving father. He's both of these in the fullness of his glory. And in the cross, we see him both execute perfect justice and righteously deal with sin. Jesus died. And we see him display lavish mercy and offer all of us pardon through Christ's death. And so as the psalmist concludes, we should conclude as well. Hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. With the Lord there is plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Isn't that good news? Are you hoping in him? The offer is available for you now. Trust it. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you love us so much that you send to us Jesus, who lives a life of perfect righteousness, the life that we fail to live, the life that we could never live because the depth of our sin is so great. Jesus did live. And then he gives us that righteous life freely by his grace. He credits it to our account. And then he takes upon himself all of our brokenness and all of our wickedness and all of our evil and all of our failures. That's what's happening in the cross. And God, as we hear that news, Lord, I pray that you would, by the Holy Spirit, give us a consciousness like the psalmist had of our own sin, of the depths in which we find ourselves, that no one can stand before you, but in Jesus, we do stand righteously. In Jesus, we have given to us something we could never earn or deserve on our own. In Jesus, we have forgiveness, and in Jesus, we have a status of son and daughter before you. So we thank you for that, God. Thank you that you freely offer that good gift to us in the gospel. May we receive it this morning with repentance, with full confession, and as we run to Christ in faith, will you again remind us of how refreshing the good news is. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The remainder of our time this morning is designed to give you various opportunities to do exactly what we've been talking about this morning, to confess your sin, to acknowledge it before God, to realize your real condition apart from Jesus, and then to receive from him his pardoning grace offered in Jesus. And so what we're going to do is sing from... We're going to sing, but no, we're not going to sing. First, we're going to confess our sins. Sorry. We're going to confess our sins silently as um, the music begins. I'm going to read again from Psalm 130, verse 3, and ask for you to just take a moment and go before God and speak to him. Confess your sin to him. Acknowledge your guilt before him and rest in his grace. So listen, if you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? Let's go before God and confess our sins.